Welcome to Emmaus Church. My name is Nathan. Happy to see you here. Welcome to those of you who join us online. We're glad that you're here with us today. Um, let's see, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. I'm going to put the text on the screen, but if you'd like to see it in context, you can uh, raise your hand and get a Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. That's where the Lord's Prayer is, one of the places. And also Matthew chapter 24 to end today. Um, if this is your first time with us, I hope that you feel warmly welcomed and that you will um, be encouraged and challenged by what we share together. If you'd like to be added to our mailing list, you're welcome to fill out a card. We'd love to be connected with you, learn your name. And um, so there's cards at the doors and ushers can help you with that as well. It's good to see some of you. Every week I'm seeing people for the first time in seven or eight months, so I'm taking a little bit of time to like soak it up and uh, just kind of get reoriented and committed or connected to some of you folks. <clears throat> well, the last thing that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, the last request in the Lord's Prayer, which is the prayer he taught his disciples to pray when they asked him, teach us how to pray. The last thing is deliver us from evil. <laughs> deliver us from evil. Not help us in hard times. Not give us some therapy for a tough issue, right? Not encourage us forward. It's not a prayer for prosperity. It's not a prayer for blessing. It's not God just give us a great day today to go about our things, right? Deliverance, which is rescue or salvation from evil, <laughs> that which is wicked, that which is bad. I don't know, maybe your prayers are more intense than mine, but I don't often pray, deliver me from evil, unless I'm praying old prayers. And if I'm praying old prayers, like the Lord's Prayer, they often encourage me in this direction. They often challenge me in this direction. It's the old prayers that seem to recognize reality at a different level, invite me into a time of prayer where I am recognizing the seriousness of the situation that I now find myself in as a follower of Jesus Christ after the kingdom of God has come to the world, but before the kingdom of God has been consummated or fully realized here in the world. I'm in this tension, right? I'm in the last two minutes of the game. The winner is obvious. It's the most dangerous time to be on the field because the loser's going for my knees right now, just trying to take me out and as many other people out as he can. Deliver us from evil is the prayer. It's, it's prayers like this that keep me on track. And by on track, I mean not praying against people, but praying against evil. I shared two weeks ago that we decided to focus our fall preaching series on the Lord's Prayer way back in June, not realizing that we would arrive at this phrase, deliver us from evil, on the Sunday following the 2020 election. Yeah, I shared two weeks ago that discovering this timing, that this topic lined up with this Sunday, initially caused a little bit of concern in the office, right? Concern in me. Um, we considered um, an alternative plan, but ultimately decided to go ahead with it despite the possibility, despite the probability, probably, um, that some of my comments 
or that some would perceive some of my comments as a response to the election results. They are not. They're not. In fact, I'm, I wrote most of this sermon <laughs> thinking the election results were different than they are, apparently. Um, it's not to say that the election results don't matter. It's not to say that policies don't matter. It's not to say that those in leadership don't matter. Not to say character doesn't matter. It's not to say that specific laws don't matter. All of that and more is so important. I'm just keenly aware this morning that nearly every single aspect of life has been viewed through a political lens in the last seven, eight months. And therefore, everything's become a political issue. So it would probably be impossible to talk about anything today without it being perceived, at least in the context of politics. I could talk about strawberries, and people would think I was, you know, talking about something political. Um, they, strawberries probably are political, actually, if you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what's on the table today, though, friends, and we're just going to faithfully um, pray for grace to faithfully preach the word. The, the phrase on the table today is very simply and very specifically, it's a prayer for deliverance from evil. Okay. It's a prayer for rescue from wickedness. And that prayer, probably shockingly, it starts its work in me. Okay. It starts its work not out there, but in here. That prayer is not so much about others, at least initially, it's about us. It's about me. The prayer, deliver us from evil, is a personal prayer before it's a political prayer. The prayer, deliver us from evil, is about me before it's about us, and it's about us before it's about them. The personal and the spiritual will shape the communal and the political. That's how policies and structures and institutions change, because individuals within them change. But it begins here. People often say the church should do something about that because um, it's perceived that the church should do something about that. But the church is just a community of individuals. So the church should do something about that means nothing unless we are doing something about that. And we doing something about that means nothing unless it's you and me right, together. In other words, this prayer doesn't stop when I say amen, this, this prayer that Jesus teaches us. Jesus is teaching not just a prayer. He's teaching us a way of life. So, yes, deliver us from evil extends to all aspects of our life, including our shared national life. But it begins here. Uh, the deliverance that we're praying for begins in our hearts. It begins in our souls. It begins in our minds. That's where it begins. Why? Because that's where the battle is happening, okay? That's where the battle happens. That's where the danger lives. And so that's where the battle starts. Essentially, Jesus teaches us to pray three things in the Lord's Prayer for us. There's three things he teaches us to pray that are Godward, and then there's basically three things that he teaches us to pray for us. The first is he teaches us to pray for our daily bread that God would supply our needs. Secondly, he teaches us to pray for forgiveness which is the prayer, God, help us live in grace. Help us live in grace, receiving grace and giving grace. That is the state in which we're invited to live. I'm 
invited to live in a state of receiving grace and giving grace and receiving grace and giving grace. And finally, we're taught to pray for deliverance. God, help us overcome temptation and then rescue us from evil. Did you notice that the phrase deliver us from evil is actually the second half of a fuller request? We've taken two weeks to look at two parts of what is essentially one prayer or one idea. The the full phrase is, lead us not into temptation, but, there's the conjunction making it connected, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, what we're saying to God is, God, help help me with temptation. And if I get lured in, rescue me. God, help me, keep me from temptation, and if I start to slip, deliver me from evil. Reach in and grab me and pull me out. It's a prayer that recognizes that temptations are all around us, but the real battle is happening within us. Not only all around us, but primarily or at least initially it's happening within us. So let's look at this relationship between temptation and evil for a minute, and then we'll move forward. Following last Sunday uh, Sunday sermon, on temptation. Some really good conversations with people about temptation. And a comment came in during our Wednesday night way of life group that meets here. And the discussion made me realize something about the way we've been talking about temptation and probably specifically the way I've been talking about temptation. We often talk about battling temptation. Listen to the verbs. Fighting temptation. Wrestling with temptation. Resisting temptation. The comment that came in on Wednesday night was had to do with after a long season of trying to resist temptation, I've given in or something like that. And, And in most of these conversations, it sounds like, what it sounds like is that the fight is against temptation. Right? Um, the struggles against temptation. I read somebody this week who um there he is, who who compared temptations to bubbles which I thought was so interesting, to bubbles. <laughs> he said, temptations, they just, they just appear like ideas, right? Like thoughts. And if you don't engage them, they just kind of fall to the floor. Right? We talk about temptations, I talk about temptations too often as something to fight against, to wrestle with, to battle, the problem with that language is it's, I'm offering it too much of my own engagement. I'm engaging it too completely. And there's a sense in which as soon as I engage the temptation, it's got me. It's, it's won the first step, right? It's, it's drawing me in. If, in fact, I could view temptations more like bubbles, then I'm just, I just, I know. I'm just kind of ignoring it. I'm just sort of not acknowledging it. I'm just sort of walking away, and I just let it float by. You see what I'm saying? The value in in this perspective is that if I don't entertain this temptation, if I don't battle it, if I don't engage it, if I don't try to wrestle with it, if I just let it pass by, I can effectively defeat it. My point is that Our fight isn't really with temptation or against temptation. Our fight is with evil. Let's call it what it is. That's the battle. The battle is with evil. I'm a terrible fisherman. I like the idea of fishing. I fished a bit, but I never catch fish. I mean, I probably have caught like two or three fish in my life. 
Uh, it's like the, the trout in the stream are totally disinterested in whatever it is I'm offering them. Um, like the lure, it's sparkly and shiny, and it's making all these little sonic waves underwater, and it goes right past them. And they're just like bubbles. I mean, they're just like not interested, right? Not even moving that way. The fish seems to handle the potential temptation of my lure just by ignoring it. Um, the temptation isn't dangerous if you ignore it, is it? It really isn't. It's not dangerous to you if, you if you can just let it sort of pass by, let it float by. It's when we're enticed. It's when we're lured in. It's when we think, maybe I'll try it. That's, that's when we get lured. That's when we get enticed, right? Now we're engaged, and now we're in danger, and now we need to be rescued. Now we need to be delivered. Now we need to pray, save me, Lord, deliver me. I've taken the bait. I'm in too deep. I've been deceived. It's more powerful than I am. It looked attractive. It looked shiny. But now it's got three barbed hooks, and I'm caught, and I'm praying, Lord, deliver me. Rescue me. We think the fight is against temptation, friends. It's not. The real fight is with evil. And so the prayer is deliver me from evil. Right? Deliver me from evil. Deliver us from evil. This is what Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus. This is in chapter 6. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, which means people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, meaning this fallen world or this evil time, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I'm not sure what all that means, but I get the impression that things are far more serious than I've been realizing. Okay. To the Galatian church, Paul says something similar. He says, Jesus Christ gave himself to rescue us from this present evil age. Okay, the situation, it seems, is far more serious than we realize. We're battling against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil, against the present evil age. And in this battle, friends, Jesus Jesus teaches us to pray just a few things. One of them is for deliverance from evil. All right. Can you get more specific with that, please? Jesus is teaching us to pray for deliverance from, as one theologian puts it, the sins within and the storms without. This has helped me to see it as, in sort of two arenas, the sins within and the storms without. In other words, we live in a world that is full of evil, and that evil has infected us also. We are evil positive. Okay, We've been infected by it. And so the battle is both in here and it's out there. And that's, that's overwhelming. That's overwhelming. That I got a problem in here and I got problems out there. That's overwhelming. And so because it's overwhelming, we typically focus on one front or the other. And very few of us really have a balanced approach to this. We focus on either the sins within or the storms without. We focus on, in other words, our issue, our need, our sin, our pain, our addiction. Or we focus on big social injustice, big political systems, you know, in international crises, 
The reality is that we live in what Paul calls an age of evil, meaning that things are broken everywhere. They're broken inside and they're broken outside. They're personal and political, but it's not either or, it's both and. And so the prayer is for deliverance in either case, deliverance from the sins within and deliverance from the storms without. If we think it's just a personal issue, we're being naive about the impact that our personal sin has made on the world. And if we focus exclusively on the storms without, we overstep and miss and ignore kind of the fundamental core place of of addressing the problem, right? Three more quick thoughts about our need for deliverance from evil. First, ego. A Franciscan missionary to China that I've been reading, his name's Albert Haas, he argues that because evil begins in the heart, the prayer for deliverance is initially a prayer to overcome our ego. And this has been very helpful for me because I don't, I'm not daily aware of a problem in my heart that I instantly label as evil. But I'm, I have no trouble pointing out ego in here, okay? So this is helpful for me. And and Haas writes, ego is easily threatened and considers its reputation at stake in every situation. Rather than surrender to a test or trial with trust in God, the ego has the emotional need to take a stand and fight. It draws battle lines. In fact, the ego has a knee-jerk reaction to any person or situation that challenges its self-concern, its self-image, its self-preservation, and self-gratification. Consequently, it goes through life banging its fists on the table and barking like an angry dog. Haas continues, he says, Our ultimate attachment to the agenda of the ego or the way of the disciple often appears in times of trial or tribulation. He's offering that as two alternatives. In other words, it's in hard times like the loss of a job or conflict in our family or some COVID-related problem or challenge or an election season that reveals whether we are following the way of Jesus or we're following the way of the ego. That's what he's saying. This is why ancient desert monks saw temptations as opportunities. (laughs) Opportunities? Yeah, it's an opportunity because it's a chance to choose the way of Jesus instead of choosing your own ego. The temptation affords the opportunity. This is why the pandemic has been a time of profound clarity for some people. Because it's revealed the ways in which they have been attached to themselves, to their ego... The last eight months have provided difficult but real opportunities to become more attached to the way of Jesus. A lot of stuff has fallen apart. A lot of our own selfishness has been revealed. A lot of us have had a lot of opportunities to choose the way of Jesus. And so the ego idea is this. All of us have the potential under certain conditions to violently defend what we want, our image, our gratification. All of us are capable of banging our fists on the table and barking like angry dogs. It's not just a short temper. You can't blame it on having a hard day. It's the ego. It's the evil within us. And and we need deliverance from that. We need deliverance from that. I need deliverance from that. I need to be delivered from the evil within, from the pride inside. I need to be delivered from it. 
Second idea is empire. First idea is ego. Second idea is empire. That me first selfishness, that indulged ego, that evil within, when it goes unchecked, it grows and it expands, and then it shapes a family, and then it corrupts a structure, and then it perverts systems, and it infects whole communities, including the affairs of the city, which is the traditional definition of politics, the affairs of the city. And ultimately it grows, or maybe more accurately, it, it twists and, and, and devolves into an empire. In other words, ego, when you feed it and you indulge it, it becomes an empire, a whole system infected with selfishness that preserves control and preserves power at any cost, even if it means abandoning justice. According to the writers of the Bible, living the prayer for deliverance from evil on a personal level, okay? So he doesn't just teach us how to pray. He's teaching us a way to live. And so the writers of the Bible say essentially this. I'm summarizing big section of Scripture here. But essentially, that the way that we pray or live the prayer of deliverance from evil on a personal level is to confess sin, to pray for forgiveness, to reject pride, and to embrace humility. According to the writers of the Bible, living the prayer for deliverance from evil on a, on a societal level means advocating for the poor. It means working against injustice. It means insisting on human dignity and freedom for all. So the problem is evil. What we need is deliverance. I'll say what I just said a different way. The road of deliverance from personal evil is the road of humility. We battle ego with humility. We read this all through Scripture. Whenever the author is focused on the evil within, it's a call to humility. Similarly, the way of deliverance from societal evil, the larger political or structural evil, it's compassion. And we read this all through the Bible. Whenever the author is addressing a community's evil, a community's sin, the way of deliverance is through compassion, working for justice caring for the widow, the orphan, the stranger. So just as humility is the theme through the Bible in the face of personal sin, compassion is the theme in the Bible in the face of societal sin. Humility and compassion, friends. That is the way the Christian addresses ego and empire. Humility and compassion. All right, last thought, quick thought about love. Simply stated, deliverance from the evil within us and deliverance from the evil around us comes through love. I think if I were to just put one label on it, humility and compassion and those, that whole discussion, that's helpful for me, but I were to just put one label on my way of being delivered, it's love. During the last week of Jesus' time on earth, his disciples became overwhelmed with the devastation of their society. And they look to Jesus and they ask him this question, what will be the sign of your return and the end of this evil age? When will we know it's coming? What should we look for? This is in Matthew 24. And Jesus responds with this. 
Jesus says, watch that no one deceives you. For many will, be, many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah or I'm the Savior. I'm the one you should put your trust in. And will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Jesus goes on and says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, natural disasters. These are the beginning of the birth pains. So something good is coming. But these are the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus continues in verse 9. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And then check out this next sentence. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Because of the increase of wickedness, because of the increase of evil, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, Jesus says. Friends, this is a remarkably vulnerable time to be a follower of Jesus. For all of the reasons that Jesus mentioned himself 2,000 years ago in Matthew 24. Not the least of which is that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. There's more conflict in families and schools and churches right now than a long time, maybe ever, in my recollection. We're so aware of the problems. And apparently there's a pretty deep rut towards loving people less as a response to all the wickedness. May God deliver us from this evil. Okay. May our love for one another not grow cold. Okay. May our love for our neighbor not grow cold. May our love for our Savior not grow cold. May God deliver us from evil. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pause just for a minute, give you a chance to reflect, write something down that you need to spend more time with. Something valuable to take away, a question, a point of response, application.
join me for a brief prayer. In your mercy, Lord, fill our hearts with love. May we love those closest to us gracefully and consistently. May we love those near us that are just challenging to love. We pray for grace to do this well. We pray for grace to love our enemies as you have taught us. May the church be a place and a people who love. May our response be to love others and worship you. We need your help, and so we pray that you deliver us, Lord, in your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.